0: The following podcast is scheduled for one fall. One fall! It's almost time for a new chapter of Geek catch to start, but before it does, Chris and I wanted to take a moment to send our love and appreciation out to all of you for choosing to hang out with us. If you enjoy Geek catch then make sure to slam that subscribe button and help us level up the show by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform.
1: You can also find us on social media to get updates on all things GK interact directly with us and content from the world of geekery geek ketchup podcast on facebook and youtube at geek ketchup pod on instagram and twitter links to all of which can be found in the show notes below and on our website geekcatchuppodcast.com. if you'd like to support the shoe there's even links to our square
0: shop where you can find official gk merchandise like shirts and stickers and patreon if extra content is your thing Above all, though, the absolute best thing you can do is spread the love for the world of geekery by sharing the Geek Catch-Up Podcast with your friends and family.
1: Now get ready to enjoy today's show, and as always, remember to to stay stay saucy. Saucy.
0: If it's nerdy, we're into it. Gaming, movies, television, wrestling, comics, whatever. We are Kyle Eckerd and Chris Heck, two lifelong friends with a passion for the world of geekery. And this? Is the Geek catch Podcast. What's good, Geek Catch-Up family? I'm Kyle Eckerd. And I'm Chris Heck. And you are listening to Season 3, Chapter 51. Queued up today, we're talking about what has been on our watch list lately. With so many new shows debuting, along with others returning, it's been a superb time for streaming television. From Disney+, Plus to Amazon, Netflix, and more, we'll hit some of the big ones, but we've also got a few surprises planned for each other, as we don't always watch the same shows. So with that, let's take aim and get into our first show that Chris and I both watched, Hawkeye. The Disney+, Plus exclusive released the first of its six episodes on November 24th, 2021, and it followed Clint Barton, played by Jeremy Renner, as he teamed up with MCU newcomer Kate Bishop, played by Haley Steinfeld. To deal with the street-level threats in New York that has risen after his time as Ronin. so Chris, it was just a mini series, six episodes, not too much, but also felt like just enough.
1: Yeah, felt like just enough. I I mostly like this with just a few little nitpicks here and there. You know, as far as just a couple of the slow moments it had, nothing hateful, but you know, I think that we've seen some very similar production situations across these different shows that Marvel's been putting out for the last year, you know, Falcon Winter Soldier, WandaVision, Loki, Hawkeye. They've all uh, kind of had this same feel of of getting their point across, really good moments, really good little nuggets to help the universe go on, but also some slow times through that. And I thought that Hawkeye had that same same situation and moments. But all in all, it was a fun watch you know, it was good diving into a little bit more Clint Barton. We got to fill in some gaps with things that we've seen through the movies. And yeah, Kate Bishop. I thought that that was a really good introduction to the universe as well.
0: For sure. You you hit on a lot of the points that I was thinking as well. There there may have been 15 minutes of downtime, but there wasn't too much fat in each episode. And there was always a good hook at the end right, to kind yep. of keep you going and great additions to just expanding out this universe that the MCU has created. The whole thing is set a year after Endgame. So it's really cool to kind of see where the city is going in New York, where the universe is going and you know, layering in a lot of the stuff that we're seeing in the movies like Black Widow with Yelena showing up and everything that's coming along with Kate's family and Jack and Eleanor kind of showing like, the underground of New York with the tracksuit mafia, like just pe- like you said, peppering in all of those little pieces so that when these characters either potentially show up in another movie or another TV
1: show, we're like not totally confused by it. Yeah. I actually was really happy because I did not catch black widow in theaters. I was way behind the eight ball and that one just got away from me, but I had caught it. A couple of weeks ago and obviously Hawkeye hadn't started yet so I didn't know exactly how much there was going to be that tie-in from the introduction of Yelena in Black Widow and then of course I think the end credit scene of Black Widow and then going right into Hawkeye so I was like you know at least I kind of checked that one off and I knew what was going on here but but, honestly, Yelena kind of steals the show. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I liked her a lot in Black Widow, but really here in Hawkeye, I think she stole the show. And those scenes where she's talking to Kate Bishop, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I know who you are, Kate Bishop. You have mac and cheese, Kate Bishop. Like, I, I just, She did so good. It cracked me up. And I'm, like, just – I came out of it all going – can we get this next one shot TV show? Cause that's really how I kind of look at a lot of these is these one shots. Yeah. I'm like, can the next one be Yelena or maybe <laughs> Kate and Yelena is like a team up. I don't know. I just need more Yelena.
0: Oh yeah. I saw a funny meme out there where like, there's that scene where they're chatting back and forth and Kate is like, stop, stop doing that. Stop making me like you. And the meme was that scene, but it's, every MCU fan right now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, every time you see Yelena, every time you see Florence Pugh play that part, you just love her more and more and want more of it and more interactions because the way she interacts with everybody throughout Black Widow
1: and then into Hawkeye, it's so good. It's so good. She's cute. She's funny. She will absolutely murder you if she wants to. You know, she's the total package here. And I really do hope that we get... More of her in some fashion, whether it's with some of these other teams that they're kind of building, of all these new characters they're introducing, you know, going back to Falcon and Winter Soldier and stuff like that, with you know U.S. Marshal, whatever it may be, right? Like if we kind of, yeah, yeah. However they play all this out with Evil Elaine and what she's doing there, you know, the Countess or, or whatever her name was, it escapes me at the moment. She'll always be Evil Elaine. Let's just be honest, but. But either way, you know, it was just a good way to introduce it. And and I keep coming back to it with these shows, especially as we've seen more and more, is that I don't know if we need more Hawkeye, right? Like, I don't know if we need a season two. And we talked about that with Loki a little bit. We talked about it with Falcon. Right. Like, if they do, great. But But I do just really like how they're putting these one-shots together. And they're telling impactful stories for the overall universe without really forcing us to commit to, like, six seasons of following this show. Yeah. So I don't know what your thoughts are there, but I really kind of think that it really kind of summed it up. Like, this was the fourth one. They've proven they can do it. Like, maybe that's what they continue on versus us having to come back. But what are your thoughts there?
0: With that specifically, I would say I don't know if I need a season two of Hawkeye that focuses on Clint Barton. But if they wanted to continue Kate Bishop's story, I'd be all for it. I would agree, yeah. And I feel that exact same way about Loki and Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like, if you are going to do a season two, it doesn't necessarily have to be about Tom Hiddleston. And that version of Loki, especially with the variants introduced, you can still have a Loki show. and But have it focus on all of those secondary characters that you introduced that you maybe haven't totally fleshed out. Like, we don't know everything we could know about the TVA and where that's headed. So if they took the focal point of season two, I'd be all right with that. And then in respect to Falcon and Winter Soldier, maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be about Sam and Bucky, although I'm not sure how you would do a season two of that show <laughs> with that title and not have it be about Sam and Bucky, but really kind of keep going down the US agent and the John Walker and all of the other threats that are taking place in that show, uh, or you you could just commit and have these people show up in movies. I uh, that would work too.
1: Well, I think we're still going to see them in the movies. I mean, we're. I mean, I think that's clear, right? You know, any any of the movies that are big enough, like what we're seeing in the the Doctor Strange that's upcoming. You know, we're getting Scarlet Witch there and and whatnot. But to me, I just started looking at it. And I'm like, I almost went Marvel just to brand them all as like. Like, the TV show itself is just Marvel one-shots, and then they just have all these different ones. She-Hawk, throw in there. Yeah. You know, whatever it may be, go around. because Because I think they're just proving that just like the comics, not everything has to be a full-tilt, long-term series. We don't need a full trade out of every single one, as long as they are giving us these nuggets and doing it you know, this quality, like almost all these shows were only six, seven episodes. That's super short. Sure. But looking back, each one of them had this very impactful moment as far as what they were telling or what they revealed. You know, here you had with Hawkeye. I mean, obviously, I think Kate Bishop's going to be around for a while. You had the development of Yelena a little bit further. Um, I hope we get more you know, trust a bro moving because that, that just cracked me up. Right, but but ultimately, then we saw what we got at the end, which you know, I think a lot of people were kind of expecting it, but nobody really would believe it with until they saw it with their own eyes. But that reveal at the end—I mean, that was kind of the major point here. I thought of Hawkeye, even beyond everything else.
0: Yeah, just connecting. I'll, I'll go out and say because I feel like we've already talked a decent amount of spoilers for this particular show in kingpin they've officially connected those universes with kingpin and brought him in and i i don't want to spoil too much of spider-man because i know you haven't seen spider-man i've not not yet yeah (laughs) but i think some of those trends of continue of linking the older versions of things is going to continue and like I said, at that point, that, that's not a spoiler. I think Spider-Man's very obvious from the trailers. There's multiverse stuff happening, and what better way to, to pull from your own history? Uh, the other thing that, you know, talking about Kingpin, the other character that I liked that they got introduced was Maya Lopez. Oh, for sure, yeah. I
1: thought she did great.
0: There's a lot to like there. There's a lot to go from there. The only disappointing thing for me in regards to Maya Lopez was the fact that they burned the Ronin suit. Mm. And I really wanted them to go in a comic book-esque direction and have
1: her be Ronin. Yeah, I had read somewhere that that was part of her history, but I just, yeah, it, it wouldn't have fit because of how Hawkeye was very like ashamed of the Ronin suit and kind of what he did as Ronan, you know like it went too far right so it would be tough i think on the screen and with kind of that wholesome image that they are still in a lot of the shows you know as far as the television and the movies go you know they only kind of ever go so far right i, I think that would have been tough to reconcile with how how they built this story but I, it would have been kind of cool yeah because if you think throw her in the mix of like kate bishop maya and elena some sort of like charlie's angels assassin crew out there or something i'd take a season of that i'm sure that would be fun <laughs> oh yeah yeah
0: for sure well i thought maybe they would have her redeem the character of Ronan, like she uh, would become Ronan and then become a hero not sure. become an anti-villain or gotcha. anything like that but i understand that where how they built ronin with the things that clint barton did during the blip like in the public eye of that universe Ronan is irredeemable yeah like he it's
1: toxic killed yeah
0: way too many people so it's it makes it so the character can't exactly be that's true. the hero can't be redeemed so they're going to take a new direction but i i do love all the little threads and how maya was connected to kingpin and things like that like that was super cool with the whole uncle storyline and yeah the influence of the tracksuit mafia like that was all really well done and i like that they keep Planting street level problems that need to be dealt with in these various TV shows.
1: It was very realistic. It had a very believable vibe, even though, you know, of course, some of the action scenes were, were a little over the top. It was super cool to see all the different trick arrows and the pim arrows and some of the trick shots that they both did. I thought all that was really, really entertaining and top notch. But I, with Kingpin, I really appreciated that they picked him up pretty much from where we last saw him in the Daredevil series. And I actually either read or saw behind the scenes something, but Vincent D'Onofrio actually was very strong about that. I guess there was some discussion about tweaking him or having him slightly different, and D'Onofrio wanted to really bring in that same exact kingpin from what he had done before and kind of keep that continuity or lineage going. Yeah. And, and I actually thought that it, it really worked out very well. You know, I know they could have done multiverse, different version or given him some different character traits, but he was, he just nailed it so good in daredevil that like, I don't really need any other version of Kingpin in the current MCU.
0: Oh yeah. Like his interpretation of Wilson Fisk is so good. And throughout daredevil and punisher like, it's just so spot on Like you do want to see it come along. Unfortunately, I think it's the end of the road for that character if the end credit scene is just to be taken literally and how that shook out.
1: I mean, we'll see because, I mean, that's it was what happened in the comics, from what I understand. And yet he's still. He still uh, worked it out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, in the world of comic books, nobody's ever truly dead. Right. Yeah, there's there's always options. And if we're going to explore this world of the multiverse that both WandaVision and Loki exposed us to, we know the Doctor Strange movie is coming. That too. Literally based on the multiverse. What if is mixed in there. There are ways to bring him back
1: in. And I'd be ok with that if you wanted yeah. to make some tweaks at that point, right? So we almost like put a a bookend here on on that version of Kingpin that they created in the Netflix series. And then, you know, maybe he comes. I, I would be ok with that working out that way. But this first shot, I was glad they did what they did for sure, for sure. Well, I was going to ask you how
0: you felt about what I would call the plot twist in in all of this and that, Kate's mom, Eleanor, ended up kind of being more of a big bad than what you thought was going to happen in Jack Duquesne, her fiance. Like when they first introduced it, you kind of got the vibes. All right, this guy, he's got a a silly mustache. He's got an accent. (laughs) He's got that villain vibe. He's good with a sword. (laughs) He's good with a sword. But it ended up being, you know, Kate's mom
1: that ended up being a little more villainous than Jack. I thought that was a good twist. I don't know if I necessarily saw it coming, but I like it. Yeah. I think that it actually gives some really interesting character situations for the future. As if we see Kate you know, moving forward in different either shows or the movies. Obviously, somebody like Eleanor Bishop running a company like that being so tied into things. She, you could easily believe that she would stick around, even from prison. She'd be connected and could pull some strings, and you know, maybe some battles between the two of them could make for some compelling television. But I, I didn't see it coming there. You know, the kingpin thing, everybody knew, just with no way home and everything, all the rumors, like you almost knew yeah. it was going to happen. It was just a matter of seeing it. Like I said earlier, like I, I'll believe it when I fully see it on screen. But, but that one was was unexpected for me at least.
0: Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I like the opportunity of where it can go in the future with that idea of a season two and Kate Bishop becoming Hawkeye. Yeah. And, you know, matching that, that comic books, you know, in regards to the alias and the superhero name, because we, we saw throughout, they did a great job as one of It was something that they got, a ton of accolades for and everybody noted the disabilities that Clint has to deal with now because of his time as an Avenger. Right. And he's really looking to retire and to get away from this superhero life. And I think it would all flow really nicely that he's ready to give it up for all of these various reasons. Kate's ready to go next level and who, and who better of a standing
1: villain for you than your mom. Well, and the idea of the Bishop Security Company could really, like, if Kate were to take it over mm-hmm. and be, like, kind of ascending into, you know, a role as a as a young Avenger, an Avenger, whatever it may be, but, like, that, if you were going to do a, a, another show or just give her a six-episode one-shot to develop, you know what I mean? Like, that could create a whole lot of interesting situations and ways to find villains and, and all that, so... I definitely think it was smart, and it it, it sets them up if they want to go in a couple different directions. So I, I liked it ultimately. There,
0: that's good. That's good. Well, I mean, and I I think as we as we maybe wrap up the discussion on Hawkeye here, I'll say where does it land in the total spectrum of these
1: new batch of MCU TV shows? I mean, for me, I think it's it's probably right in the middle. I mean I, I I was thinking about this and they were all kind of very on par with themselves. I think Loki probably stood out as the number 1, not necessarily because like the the body of work was that much better, but just the TVA, the timelines and then, you know, the introduction of Kang and yeah. that final episode was just so epic and it's uh, going to be so impactful down the line. You know, I think that that was kind of the biggest moment potentially out of all four of these. But I mean, they've all been really on par. Like, I, I they weren't good, they weren't bad. They, I mean, they were they were all solid. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, and, th- and that's totally fair because as soon as it finished, I had actually asked Taylor that question. I was like, "All right, so where does it land?" And as we started talking, it was almost as if we were remembering the previous shows. In, in a different fashion, like, because we were like, all right, well, all right, directly to what if. All right, well, I think it was better than what if. Oh, yeah, compared to what if for sure. Yeah. And, and you're like, all right, well, next one up. Well, how did it compare to Loki? Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe Loki was better. Oh, but it had this and Loki had that. Like, all right, so maybe like WandaVision, and then for her specifically, WandaVision was like, oh, WandaVision's number one, no question. And then it was funny because then we started chatting through this and i was like oh i totally forgot about falcon winter soldier like oh my god like so but i like the way you're looking at it that they're all kind of not one-upping each other but elevating the entire universe
1: yeah they're working together this is actually the better way that i came to it when i was thinking about all these shows versus another disney plus show in the mandalorian i don't think that any of these were as oh my god mind-blowing like compelling i have to watch what is going to happen here as the mandalorian established itself to be yeah like the second the second they introduced baby yoda like everything else was out the window right you know what i mean it became must watch television because you have to see if you're a star wars fan what's going to happen there right and and so i I don't. I mean, it's not apples to apples, but I just think like that was where I kind of started looking at it as like, okay, all four of these Marvel shows are on a on a level, and they're all good, but like as far as impactful television, like I think Mandalorian still, you know, went to another level than either any of these have done. Yeah, if that makes sense.
0: I would. Yeah, I'd call that fair. I, I would call that fair, and I think, and I say it's impactful for both the Star Wars fans out there. And it transcended. Right. It was bringing new eyes to Star Wars. And people that did not care about Star Wars, they started watching The Mandalorian. I can't say that any of these MCU shows got more eyes on an MCU product.
1: I don't know anybody that was like, oh my god, I'm going to go start watching these because of any of these shows. No. So, But yeah, you're right. When When Baby Yoda took over the internet... Everybody had to watch. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cultural
0: phenomenon. It was, it was. And bless little Grogu, we hope to see you again one day. <laughs> but the la- the last piece I'll say here is kudos to the credits on all of these shows, because every single MCU TV show has a way of just having incredible opening and ending credits.
1: Oh, like all the art and everything they do there? Yeah. Yeah,
0: the, the way it's styled, and I know... That Hawkeye caught a lot of flack because people were like, you're not giving Matt Fraction and David Aya, like, the right credit that they're due. Like, they're just a small little name because, let's be honest, the artwork in the credits was just straight ripped from My Life as a Weapon, that that graphic novel out there. Ooh. But... I mean, it, they're just super cool, nonetheless, like across the board. Because I remember Falcon and Winter Soldier had a really awesome one. Yeah, Loki had a, Loki's was really good. Obviously, all of WandaVision and everything that they did to pay homage to the old TV shows. So they're really fun nuggets that they're throwing in there and something that would traditionally be maybe throw away in the credits. For
1: sure. Yeah, that's a good call out. All right. Well, of course, Hawkeye, there's a lot to talk about there. But next up, we're going to take a look at kind of a dealer's choice of sorts from Kyle and some of the other shows that he has been checking out over the last couple of weeks. So, Kyle, I'll throw it over to you. What are you bringing to the table today?
0: So a, there are a couple options. I think we both are going to have a couple options. I narrowed it down to just one, and I thought I would, I would focus on this. And I got hooked on the Wheel of Time on Amazon.
1: Okay, yeah, it was a big release, a lot of hype around it. Big
0: release, and it's a, it's a fantasy-based story. It's based on a book series by the same name. The book series is written by Robert Jordan. And, in fact, there are 14 books in total, uh, maybe 15 if you consider the prequel. And this season focused on what I believe is book one. So it's roughly book one, but it's a fantasy-based story. Uh, it follows uh, this character named Moraine. She's a member of the Aes Sedai. So basically she's a channeler or a magic user. And she can channel the one power, which is kind of like if you consider it the force. It's it's kind of like that. And she is on a mission to find the dragon reborn. So a lot of the themes of this show is that, you know, time is a wheel and a lot of reincarnation and things like that. And there's the dragon reborn, which is going to be a very powerful channeler mm. that is destined to either make or break the world. So it's either <laughs> going to save the world from all the evil, or they're going to destroy everything again. And it, it's kind of how it plays out. It's very
1: fantasy. Very yeah, fantasy. Yeah. It gives me, it gives me like Skyrim vibes, you know? Yeah. And I don't know oh, what yeah. came first, the wheel of time or Skyrim, probably the wheel of time. Probably will. have done. I'll tell you, I watched the first episode just yesterday. I just threw it on. I I had this sneaking suspicion you might talk about it. And I hadn't watched it and I wanted to. Yeah. I caught the pilot and kind of got into it and got some vibes. And I just remember kept thinking, I was like, this could have been the beginning of like Skyrim, you know, looking for this dragon board child. And I'm not hating on it, but that was just my first thoughts. That's about all I know at this point, because that's all I've watched. But. Oh, yeah. It was kind of cool with the themes that they were presenting.
0: In and that's how I felt early on in the show. I'd say episodes one through three, I wasn't blown away. I was like, okay, this is an intriguing premise, but it's a lot of just plain Jane fantasy.
1: Sure, yeah. You know,
0: and if anybody's read a lot of fantasy or exposes themselves to a lot of fantasy in the way of video games or books or comics or whatever, like it, it didn't stick out as anything special. And then I'll say around the fourth episode, it just picked up like it just really started to lay these plot points and the characters the actors really seemed to get invested in their roles and probably you know as filming went on they got more comfortable in their shoes and things like that and i'll say episodes four through eight were amazing and like really started to build a very cool world with a lot of different dynamics especially amongst the various clans of magic users and warriors and things like that, because obviously there's the Aes Sedai, which is your female channelers, your magic users. But amongst them, there are various subgroups that all have different purposes. So there's, there's the blues, the reds, the greens, and they all do something very different in how they impact the world. And then there's like the white clan, which is like a group of men that look like they're kind of out to rid the world of magic users. Uh, and then there's this whole other dynamic about men not being able to use magic without
1: being driven insane. I did pick up on some of that, and I was kind of digging some of those themes, you know, with with the women definitely being a little bit more in charge, you know, there at like the Two Rivers Town, it looked like. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I think they kind of established fairly quickly that... Women are the primary magic users, and and all of that. So I, I I like that kind of stuff. You know, I think it just turns things on its head. Game of Thrones had a whole lot of strong women in there. Maybe not quite to this extent, but if you look throughout of it, there's you know a lot of the women were the stronger sides of things, and. And I just think it's a cool dynamic to see. So uh, there was a lot that I liked. I mean, but I'm with you. It was very kind of plain Jane. I got the sense that they were really serving the people that had been reading the books with the pilot. You know, maybe touching on, like, how the books go down versus trying to capture me as a non-reader with some big, you know, magic scene or big battle scene. Or, like, you think about game of thrones too like it he opened the books this way but you think about that pilot episode of game of thrones when the white walkers kill those first couple Nights watchmen and all that right and put them into the like that's like the kind of thing that you're like oh damn i have to see what happens right like and yeah. I, there was none oh, of yeah. that really in the pilot here so i got that sense of like they're not coming after me as a non wheel of time person they're they're really here to maybe service the people that have been loyal to the books yeah, Maybe I'm wrong, but that was just the feel I got.
0: And I think that that's fair. I've read some things, but like I think it's fair in a general sense, but I also know that they didn't exactly stick to the books
1: oh, because okay.
0: the books actually focus a lot on some of the individual characters and the, specifically the five teenagers that they introduced right there in that first episode.
1: That they think might be the, the new dragon person.
0: Yeah, and like so it's like, Rand and Matt and Perrin and Egwene like a lot of those characters get the focus now versus the books they already know who the dragon reborn is oh okay and so I won't spoil anything if you plan on finishing the season by the end of season one you find out who the dragon which one of them is the dragon reborn Uh, but in the book series they already know like you already know which person is the dragon reborn and I'll say this like because I think it goes along the lines of what you were saying. I had a conversation with a buddy who read the books and was also getting into the show as as I was talking about it. Amazon did something weird where they produced two fantasy shows at the exact same time, one in the Wheel of Time, and then they're also making that Lord of the Rings show.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, that hasn't come out yet.
0: That hasn't come out yet. And we were like, man, what a risk on taking two fantasy like fantasy based books and turning them into a show and maybe stretching yourself too thin on that particular genre and then we were afraid that obviously one of those two book series is going to get more attention and yeah. maybe more money and no offense to any Wheel of Time fans out there but the Lord of
1: the Rings is going to
0: get that focus because yeah it's, it's
1: just the bigger name yeah
0: it's Lord of the Rings it's like the fantasy story right yeah and honestly, I have to admit, I I think that's a spot on thing that happened because of those first couple episodes, they were good. The CG was OK, but it was also very CW sure. CG, where it was very obvious it was a television show versus the back half. They really upped their game and everything got better. Like if they were skimming a little bit on the CG in those first episodes, they did not skim on the back half. And then. Ultimately they've already announced the budget for season two is through the roof. That's good. They were like look, season one was a success in our book. The yeah. day that it debuted it was the most pirated show out there. <laughs> like and they greenlit season two back in May, but they've already they've already committed millions of more dollars to the budget of this show, which I I think is seeing what they did already in the back half of season one makes me really excited to see what they're going to do with season two.
1: Yeah, that's good to hear. I mean, I, I planned on watching it, you know, when I saw the trailers and and everybody was kind of talking about that initial hype and then, you know, got into wrapping up some other stuff or there's just other higher priorities out there. Right. Oh yeah. I do plan to continue watching it now that I started, I wanted to get the pilot in just so I had a little bit of a feel in case we did end up talking about it here. But I I do plan on riding through the rest. So hearing that there is another season at least that's planned, that makes me feel good. You know, Amazon's got a pretty decent track record. Not every show's been perfect, but, you know, they've done a number of good ones. Man in the High Castle and, you know, The Boys and all this stuff. So, I mean, they're very capable of doing high production stuff. But we'll have to see, ultimately, once Lord of the Rings comes out. I think that's a really interesting thing to bring up because it could all look good right now. But then as soon as that show drops, vice versa, you know, one of them might end up getting the axe if, if the numbers kind of shift in the scales. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and then I, I have no doubt we'll talk about it in the back half here. But there's a lot of fantasy shows right now. There's It's true. Like Game of Thrones got so popular and it just seemed like every TV movie exact was like fantasy. That's what the that's what the people want. They want fantasy. And so now all of these fantasy shows are popping up and they can't all be good. So there there's going to be a breaking point at some time here.
1: <laughs> Fantasy's the new comic, you know. <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. But like in well, I guess the comic book bubble hasn't popped just yet.
1: Yeah, but there's a different appeal though, and like a broader audience. So I mean, comics, superheroes are always golden, you know. Yeah. But oh yeah. Some of the obscure fantasies, because you're right. I mean, Netflix alone last year had at least three or four other ones that I watched, and like, there I can't even tell you all their names right now because they weren't that impactful in my life. Yeah. But I did watch them because they were putting them out, and they were decent. But yeah, it's like. How many of these can we really can we really deal with? Because at the end of the day, it's fantasy. They're going to be it's pretty fantasy, yeah. similar. Yeah. When
0: I to <laughs> to talk about the exact Netflix situation, I watched episode one of The Wheel of Time. Then I went and watched episode one of Shadow and Bone. Shadow and Bone. That was one of them. Yeah, and that's when I went back to Wheel of Time. I was like, okay, this is the fantasy show that I'm going to watch. Yeah, like, yeah, and I literally did that. I was like, I'm looking for a new show. Both of these shows are out there. They both look interesting to me. I'm gonna watch the pilot episode for each one and then commit for the rest of the season. And I ended up going with Wheel of Time. I'm sure I'll go back and watch the you know the it, rest Shadow of Shadow got better.
1: It wasn't it wasn't horrible, but I mean, yeah. like I said, I couldn't remember the name until you brought it up. And <laughs> that that's that's pretty much all you need to know. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're off to a great start here, but it's been about 30 minutes. So in classic television fashion, we're gonna go to commercial for a quick word from our sponsors. you have opinions about the show
0: covered in today's chapter or maybe you just want to interact with chris and kyle about all things geek possibly you have a favorite game or comic you think the guy should cover be sure to follow the show on facebook and youtube at geek catch up podcast or on instagram and twitter at geek catch up pod we look forward to hearing from you
1: Welcome back, and thanks to our wonderful sponsors, this next block of programming is going to be ad-free. Woohoo! And if you
0: would like to sponsor us, don't forget that there's a Patreon and merch store. Absolutely.
1: Well, after a full two-year wait, The Witcher finally released in December as one of, if not the most anticipated TV shows of the year. Of course... Season one happened back in 2019, had a lot of critical acclaim, a lot of hype. Then they hit COVID and, and just the entire story that we all know with delays and everything that happened. So it took a an extra year for us to get season two. But, you know, it dropped just recently and it really picked right up from where season one ended, which was quite nice. We see Henry Cavill back as the silver-haired Witcher, Geralt. But now he's got this whole new twist where him and Siri, you know, that teenage princess who had lost everything in season one, they are now back together, or I should say, together for the first time as that team. So it really changes the entire dynamics of the season. So, Kyle, it's been mostly received with positive acclaim, but how did season two of The Witcher work for you?
0: It was really good. You know, we literally were just talking about being fantasy overloaded. But season two of The Witcher delivered on everything I wanted. I don't know at the end of the day if I'm going to enjoy it more than season one because I really, really enjoyed the time jumping aspect of season one. And that wasn't quite there in season two. It was more of a linear story. But all in all, I loved everything that they brought to the table As far as expanding the world, expanding the history of that world, I felt like there was a lot of upgrading in the way of monsters and war and the cities and the various factions and things like that. So, all in all, like it was, it hit everything I think I wanted out of a season two.
1: I agree. I I actually felt like it was just. On par. I mean, I thought that they were like, if season one was a, a nine or a 10 out of 10 for me, I think season two was a nine or a 10 out of 10 for me. And, and there was just little things, you know, I, yeah, I did notice that they didn't do quite the time jumping. So I'm with you there. I thought that, you know, the story just unfolded differently. And there wasn't like that, oh my gosh, moment of, of this has all been happening at the same time. Like you got, you know, midway through season one. But I also appreciated that they didn't jump ahead or anything along those lines with the story because seeing everything develop between Geralt and Siri was so important. I mean, it was actually the kind of the core focus of this season, and we didn't really miss out on any of that. Right. You know, if there were time jumps, like thinking about when we see the Bard come back in, you know, where maybe it feels like he's kind of some time has passed and he's established. It just fit in. It didn't seem like we were all over the place. It, You know, it just made sense and we didn't miss anything. No,
0: I would agree. It's funny that you bring up that moment with Yaskier because that was the only time as I was watching season two that I thought maybe they were playing with the timeline. Yeah. Because of like how he was interacting with Yennefer. And I was like, ooh, okay, so maybe the stuff that's happening right now with Yennefer is a little delayed compared to what we're seeing happen with Gerald and Siri. Like, Oh, I don't know, but ended up not factoring and just being more linear. But I, I totally agree. Like it just kept pace. And I like that. I like this idea that when I go back and rewatch it, season one is going to flow right into season two. I'm going to be able to hit play next episode. And there's not going to be this like kind of weird clunkiness that can happen sometimes with TV.
1: Yeah. And I was a little worried going into it because time ended up being such a big deal in season one. And you realize that we didn't know exactly what was unfolding, you know, when you get through those first couple episodes of season one. And, you know, while it didn't necessarily felt like you missed anything, like I was worried that they were going to just jump and like Siri was going to be more of of a final form or a little bit further down the line. And and we were going to miss some of that. But, you know, coming back to the original kind of announcements or interviews that were given about the creator really wanting to do seven seasons and having that time, you know, I think then this was really us being able to see that that's, that's really going to be the case and that they are going to, you know, take us through this story more step by step versus trying to rush through things. And and I think that it really pays off for them. Oh, yeah. You know, even though it's only 10 episodes, I mean, they are packed of whether it's the story the character development like you said the monsters are bigger the action was bigger i mean you get a whole lot out of every single hour of this show oh 100 it's to the point where when i was
0: watching it a couple of the episodes i was watching later at night and so i was fading a little bit maybe getting the droopy eyes the sleepy eyes and i would stop myself and be like, nope, you are clearly too tired <laughs> to be watching The Witcher right now. You need to pause, you need to stop, go to bed, and then pick pick this episode up because there's so much happening like across the board with every single character. Like you you needed to be paying attention. I love shows like that. I love shows that reward you and almost expect you to be paying attention that you can't just throw on in the background while you're working. Or like, oh, I'm going to go work out and I'm going to throw The Witcher on. No, like you need to be on the couch, focused watching. And I, I thoroughly enjoy shows that both ask you to do that and reward you for doing that.
1: Oh, for sure, and I mean, they introduced uh, a number, well, I won't say introduced a number of characters, they they kind of gave more attention to certain characters that we only saw a little bit of in the first season, right, so right. I'm thinking about, you know, the the captain from the Nilfgaard army, Frangelica, the wizard of Nilfgaard, and the elven yeah. mage that her name is completely escaping me, but I mean, like... Those characters that they brought in or gave us more of, I mean, every one of them I immediately was all about. Like, I was like, oh, give me more of that backstory. Give me more of the politics that this person's involved in. So, like, there really wasn't even any characters that you're like, oh, this person's on screen. I can go get some popcorn. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like, you're like, damn, I want to see everything. Even all the witchers they brought in. Like, when they were on screen, I was like, what am I going to learn about these guys? What are they going to do? And so... The casting, and, and I mean, some of that goes back to the books themselves, I'm sure, but I, I don't know. I just felt like every edition or anywhere they chose to explore more, it just all fit in nicely, and and I was here for all of it.
0: Oh, 100%. It's funny that you bring up the extra witchers that they showed and all the different characters, because you're right, there is no B story. No. They <laughs> all feel like A stories, and one of the other things that I really enjoyed is how each of these characters interacted with other characters that we already knew. And so what I mean by that is we kind of, it's clear that everybody is old as dirt in this kind <laughs> right, of universe. Yeah. Like how long people live is, is kind of questionable. <laughs> like, cause obviously we know witchers age slowly. It's very obvious that Yennefer and the mages age slowly. Yeah. Some people don't age at all. And so, I'm thinking specifically of, like, Tress. Like, when she comes to where all the... She already knows all the witchers.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Because she's met them throughout the course of her lifetime. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it, of, like... It was must-watch because you never know who's going to interact with who and how that's going to go. And especially... uh, And I'm blanking on, on his name. I feel bad. But, like, when Geralt got teleported and he was kind of... It was, like, the side story of Geralt and the other mage that's, like, both been... The spurt- historian. The historian, and it's, like, Yennefer's two lovers going off together to do a campaign. Yeah. Like that was, I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, like, I can't step away because I, I want to see how these two interact and what ends up happening and, and how have they never met before and things like that.
1: And the casting was really well done, even though I know... Right. ...that... Some people have had some thoughts one way or the other. You know, I think that ultimately the acting has really paid off, even if like maybe visually somebody didn't line up to exactly what we saw in the games or what you might have had in your head from the books. You know, I oh, think that, okay. you know, I, I don't, personally, I don't think I've had much complaints about any of the actual acting and in, in the characters that they've casted through. But I did see that season two kind of created some angst, or criticism from some of the folks that were more hardcore fans of the book when it came to the character that they introduced with Escol. Oh, okay, with Escol. Okay, that's the Witcher that turned into the tree into the yeah. Leshy. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't. Do you know what that was? I didn't see anything that why they'd be upset about that.
1: So what I read from some of the folks, and I mean, you're also talking about like Twitter criticism and things like that, right? Turned into articles. But from what I read and the examples that I saw was that some people felt like Eskel was done a little dirty in the show here because Uh. I guess in the books, and I haven't, I've only read the first book. I've got a couple of the other ones. I never, never finished them. But from what I understood and what I was reading from them was that, you know, he was somebody that was very close to Gerald. They went back to when they trained. And he had, I guess, you know, he was kind of like a softer-hearted character, you know, little brother-type character and all of that. And then when you come in in the show here, they had him portrayed very much as kind of like an arrogant asshole. He's like debaucherous. He's drinking. He brings all the ladies of the night, you know, up to the castle. And and then ultimately we saw him, you know, turn into the monster and, and how all that went but it just seemed like a lot of people were expecting him being added into the show this season as somebody that was going to maybe return and be a character that interacts with Gerald or helps Gerald and things like that longer term. And, you know, they pretty much killed him off in an episode or whatever it was, you know? <laughs> yeah,
0: I could see that. That makes sense. But, uh not knowing that it's tough because obviously I'm not a book reader in this case and I haven't played the games. And like, I felt like his story filled a purpose and it, it did well there. I think to put some of those criticisms at ease, I, the show has already proven that it time jumps.
1: Right. And yeah, can
0: do things. <laughs> and it also has proven in that they can introduce a character in what seems like a very minor role and then bring that character back at a later time for a much larger role. So I think combining those two ideas, it would be cool to see season three, season four, if they wanted to kind of do justice to the book character, they would bring him back and tell young Gerald stories.
1: Yeah. I mean, flashbacks and stuff for sure. And you're right. With the timeline they've set up, I mean, they could probably do anything they want. I think, kind of the last aspect of where i kind of understood why people got a little upset was that a number of the witchers that they showed here in the show were pretty much made up Uh, like not in in the books at all like they added essentially these other characters to kind of build up the numbers a little bit more you know make carmorn or whatever the castle's name was feel a little bit more populated even though of course it's way less populated than it was you know a couple hundred years ago or whatever it was when they all got you know, really, really knocked down. You know, as far as how the Witcher Guild was, but they were like, "Well, if you're gonna just kill somebody off, why didn't you pick one of these characters that nobody would have even cared about? We don't even know their names." You know?
0: Yeah. And
1: yeah. so, I, I guess I can see that, but I'm with you. For me personally, even having played the games but not, you know, reading through all the books, I I have very few complaints about the show. I think that it just works as a show. That what they've written and what they presented. For me, I went through it feeling just fine that Esco got murdered by as a tree. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. was I mean, it was badass. It was a cool, was you know, it was a cool ending. The way they built him into that Groot looking monster and then and then ended it. You know,
0: yeah, it's tough because growing up as a Harry Potter fan and seeing the books translated to the movies, and you're a Game of Thrones fan, seeing the books translated to the movies, there are going to be differences. And I think reading comic books also helps with this kind of idea that you have to look at it as the same content, just, it's just a different spin. Exactly. And so your books are still there. You can always go back to them. You can always be faithful to them and just enjoy the show for what it is and what it's presenting to you. And as a person that has only experienced the show, I'm with you. I like what
1: they're doing here. Yeah, I I ultimately... I'm not going to fault it personally for me, especially because also the thing, too, and I was thinking I was talking to our friend Alex about this, who has read all the books, is that the books are written more as like a collection of short stories. Yeah. And and he was even telling me that in his opinion, he thought that even like a character like Eskel was still kind of even minimal. And when you're taking from that type of material, almost even in the same way as comics, it's almost just built more for interpretation.
0: Sure. Because
1: sure. you may only get these small glimpses to certain characters or certain settings, you know, certain cities or, or environments, just because they ultimately didn't need that much attention in the original work. So it really does cut both ways. It's just tough when I think Game of Thrones and some of those kind of set an expectation, at least early on, of like we could follow some of the original material to a T, to a t- yeah. and then, and then they didn't and they failed, but you know what I mean? Like yeah, we, ultimately... we have seen both sides of that coin.
0: Yeah. And, and that's what I mean. Like you can see just small spins and like I said, and who knows, maybe they'll take that feedback and correct in season three, because I know that when season one came out, there were a lot of people that were really upset about the Nilfgaardian guardian armor and the look of it all. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like like with the black and the kind of like waves. and stuff. I know that I just saw so many people in articles being like, why Witcher fans are upset about Nilfgaardian armor. And from what I saw this season, they have shifted back. Like it didn't look uh, anything like okay. it did in
1: season one. That's a good point. I didn't think about that too much. But yeah, now that you say that, yeah, I didn't realize there was outcry. Oh, yeah. Like with the with the black, like the total blackout.
0: Look of just your standard soldier, gotcha, yeah, but, too much, yeah, but I, but I know they auto corrected, so see it all in all, it was really, really good, great continuation. I actually kind of forgot, as it was coming out that I had to wait two years, and maybe it's because I've done a couple rewatches of season one, so I'm already eager to get on my rewatch of season two,
1: well and I think the last thing to kind of touch on here is that you know it had that huge cliffhanger, yeah like i immediately wanted season 3 when they you know that final scene and we get that reveal that series dad is is still around and not only still around but he is the white flame of nilfgaard yeah <laughs> yeah
0: that is kind of crazy like and the true heir as they've been saying all through season 1 and season 2 so yeah where did that come in season 1
1: like wouldn't have people have known that there's a huge twist. I mean, that right there was, was massive. And then thinking about all the holes exactly of his story that they're going to have to fill in, you know, from what we saw in season one through, you know, assuming he was dead. And then now, yeah, you know, he's going to be one of probably the most important characters that we see for at least another season or two. I don't know. Maybe the rest of the show. Yeah. We'll have to see. But that was just a jaw-dropping moment for me, and I was like, "God, give me another episode, you know? (laughs) Yeah, like
0: right now, I can't wait, I can't wait, so hopefully it comes soon enough, I didn't, I haven't seen any announcements on when pre-production and filming for season three starts, I think season three is happening, I I think it got announced, but I haven't seen any production type stuff.
1: Not yet, not yet, I wouldn't expect it until, I mean, it's going to be a December show, it seems, you know, one way or another, so we're pretty much looking at Another year for the most part from this point. It's true. Minimum.
0: You fill your time with all of the the world of The Witcher stuff that Netflix is also pushing out. Because a lot of the accompanying material has been pretty cool. Like the documentaries on how they film the various scenes and stuff like that. That's all really, really cool. And, you know, for for my part, I'd I'd like to see more of that American Ninja Warrior course and and how that came to be. Because
1: that was pretty cool. Yeah, I like the behind the scenes. I want to see the actual actors having to run through that as like an outtake reel. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, Well,
0: that is The Witcher. I think we were both super excited about season two. Can't wait for season three. But I got to bring my dealer's choice show to the table. So we're going to pass it over to Chris here for his dealer's choice. What did you bring?
1: I actually had a couple of them down here, but mostly because they were all like a little bit shorter shows and just with how life has been over the last couple of weeks, I have just been avoiding most anything heavy. I know I watched The Witcher and some of that, but it kind of falls into a slightly different category of heavy. Um, So most of what I've been doing outside of that has all just been, you know, like stupid comedies, 30 minute comedies. So of course there's been the South Park specials that came back if you haven't seen them fantastic those guys are still churning on all cylinders um but then recently we had season 4 of Tacoma FD which is just a stupid show it's two of the guys from Broken Lizard which did Super Troopers right. if you remember back silly 30 minute comedy about them being firefighters in Tacoma Washington like it makes <laughs> it makes no sense but yeah. it's pretty funny you know it's kind of it's kind of on par with like a Brooklyn nine nine. You know, most episodes has got a couple good laughs. Maybe not quite as good of a cast, but but all in all, the supporting cast is pretty solid. So, you know, for a thirty minute or less essentially, you know, network comedy, it's it's right up there. Yeah. But really the the main one that I'm gonna I'm gonna call out here, it, just because I don't think it gets quite enough love, is Letterkenny. And I think I've mentioned it here and there a little bit over the course of our show, but it came out with season 10 just released, and it was a shorter season because of COVID, but but it was season 10. And honestly, Jared Kiso, who stars in it and is the writer of it, he's a freaking mastermind, in my opinion. Like, it's his brainchild. Yeah. And and there's not much that goes on in Letter Kenny, right? Like, let's be totally honest. It is 30 minutes of, you know, they they do chores, they drink, they play hockey, and they fight. You know, there's not a whole lot that goes on in the show, but it is just incredibly smart, witty banter the entire time. And you may not be able to understand all of it because it's Canadian as fuck, you know, <laughs> and they really lean into the Canadian lingo and accents and stuff. Yeah. But but when you actually stop and listen to what they are saying and how they wrote it and the different just styles of English or, and, you know, composition to me, I just, I just fall in love with that because it's just so well done. And I have a lot of respect for the wittiness and whatnot, even though there ain't nothing else to see here, you know? Yeah, there's nothing
0: there. (laughs) I have never watched letter Kenny, like really sat down and watched. I think I've seen a couple episodes of season one and just wasn't quite my taste. However, What I do see a lot of it is YouTube clips. Oh, yeah. Short, either 30 to 90 second clips of the show. And I think that's the part where you're highlighting here, where it's just quick, witty commentary. And those are the things I see. And they usually do make me chuckle a good bit.
1: Yeah. And they'll do them in these different styles of, like, alliteration or allegory. I mean, I go down, like, all these different compositions that you can use to... To, to build the English language and you can tell like as they go through them that they're like focusing on these different ways you can approach things but they will just work in just crazy commentary and yeah like that's the bulk of the show is these individual moments of maybe three to five minutes depending on what they're talking about where they'll just be sitting around drinking and 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 be talking to each other and then they'll be loosely connected to kind of the next scene right and there are some right. some you know episode to episode season to season storylines but to me it's really just more about the banter kind of like how South Park was back in the day where you know episode to episode didn't really matter so much but if you went and you looked at individual scenes individual things that they were creating commentary on that was really where it shined and and I know that, uh, like, my wife, you know, we go back and forth because she finds it funny. But there'll be times where she'll just be like, like, a, they'll, they'll finish this whole clip. Like, right one of the episodes in season 10, there was this whole thing they did about what you could do with a single dollar bill. But, of course, they used their own specific lingo for, I guess, whatever, you know, is commonly referred to as a single dollar bill in Canada. And it's escaping me at the moment. But, like, they were using all of that as everything they they were they were talking about right and I, I for me i picked up on the fact that they were just talking about what would happen you know if you find a single dollar bill or you leave somebody a tip of a dollar right you know like i was picked up on that yeah but we watched this whole thing and i'm laughing and then and then it ends and espy's like i have no clue what they were just talking about you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> cuz some of it definitely they lean into like i said the canadian lingo and just the the accents and everything like that yeah but I don't know. I it, It's up my alley, and I can't get enough. They've got a season 11, I think, that they already are in the works on. Yeah. Bring it out. Give me more. And and then when it's done, I'm definitely going to follow Jared Kiso as far as, you know, what he's going to do next. Because he seems to be, you know, a, a pretty good mind in the world of television. Oh, yeah.
0: Do you know where he
1: came from? Like, because... As the star of the
0: show, I've never seen him in anything else. I have but not. But imagine, is this his first like IMDB credit, which would be pretty remarkable considering the cult following that the show has?
1: Would have to go look it up, cannot confirm. Um, I've never really looked into him, honestly, but I've never seen him on anything else. I just know that he is credited as, you know, essentially, like, the writer, The I mean, it's his show. Like, to me, he came up with it
0: yeah oh yeah i mean he's his credits yeah writing creating developing yeah like directing the the whole nine yards uh like and i just pulled him up real quick and i think nothing is standing out a lot of just film festival type work both on movies and television he had a small role as nate in smallville uh, <laughs> uh you know he a couple side characters on psych In the Godzilla movie, but yeah, that's yeah, but nothing kind of wild, yeah. That he has just created, developed something that worked, and now it's on Hulu, and it's one of like Hulu's exclusives that they really promote.
1: Yeah, yeah, they pump it. I'd like to know how popular he is in Canada, you know, because I mean, obviously, there's just the cultural differences. Like, is Letter Kenny terrible in Canada, and only us Americans love it because we don't know what they're saying? Or or is it, like, one of the biggest shows there are in Canada? Either way, though, I think the cast is strong. I think it's really – I think it's funny. Um, not everybody's cup of tea, but I was just really happy to see because the they, – they don't do a whole lot of press on it. And, like, I didn't even know season 10 was ready to come out, and then it was just there. Yeah. and But it was, like, perfect timing for our lives and just where things are right now. So, like, we definitely sat down and crushed. It was only, like, six or eight episodes in the new season – but we sat down and crushed it all. So I recommend it to everybody. Sometimes
0: that's what you need. You need something just light and a, you know palate cleanser. Nothing serious, nothing dark. You can you can throw on. You can have a laugh and move about your day. It's not gonna
1: keep you up at night. Exactly. Yeah. Well, kind of going the other way, but just to wrap up here, you know, something maybe not super dark, but definitely more serious than uh, Letter Kenny. We've got two episodes out so far at the time of recording this, and that is the book of Boba Fett. So, Kyle, we're going to keep this kind of short, but from those two first episodes, what are you feeling on that?
0: Uh really, really enjoying it. I I think it is doing a handful of things so well, and that I it's one of those things that hit me the other night when I was watching season two that I realized that we've never gotten before in the Star Wars universe because I was a little afraid that it was just going to be this kind of, you know, poor man's version of The Mandalorian. Sure. Despite being Boba Fett and all of the following that the character has, I was like, ah, you know, is it, is it really just going to be Mandalorian, not even 2.0, just like a bad copy? But it's, but it's not. And I think it. And what got me is the focus of Tatooine Yeah, because as much time as we have spent on Tatooine, we still don't know that much about that planet. That's true. Outside of the Skywalker farm and Mos Eisley, like to the point where I know in season two of The Mandalorian, we'd never even gone to the other Mos sites on the planet, and then also the people that live there. And and I love the fact that we're getting this like zeroed in view of what Tatooine is like and getting stories about the mayor of the various towns and all of the various hap- happenings on the planet, the factions, the tribes. And then specifically, and I'm going to, I think I'm going to pass this one over to you. Cause I think you're just as excited, if not more so about this one as I am the sand Raiders. Oh my
1: God. Yeah. And the
0: culture that we're getting out of the, the sand people like, like, Oh, my God, like how amazing is that taking these these group of people that we've literally known about for almost 50 years and completely putting a whole new spin on who they are, how they live and everything about them.
1: Oh yeah, the sheer depth and humanization that they have done for the sand people between second season of Mandalorian and the second or the first two episodes of Boba here are next level. Just crazy how much they're becoming one of my favorite races in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, dude. And and it's only been from the last like couple of months of of really getting to see this stuff, but it's just so top-notch. I, honestly, I want to go back though cuz I think you what you were just describing as far as what this show is doing is actually something that you hit the nail on with Hawkeye. You said it earlier. It's giving us the street level yeah. view, you know, the street level politics and issues of this world. Just like you, you were saying you liked out of the MCU shows. So I think just to bridge that gap, I think that was kind of the word you might've been looking for. Uh, and you had said it earlier, but Dude, the sand people, man, like every aspect of it. I, I I could talk about this for a while, but just, I mean, seeing them in different outfits and the, and the tribal chief right. and his like re- regalness and wearing different uh, jewelry and his headgear was different. I mean, just everything about it, how they made the weapons, how they lived, how they look for water. I mean, just all of that and then how that went a step further from what we saw in Mando, it was just, it was just so awesome. They took a detail that nobody really gave two shits about, right? From fifty years of history, and now have made it just another beloved aspect. They can go sell, they'll, they'll sell sand people toys now. Oh yeah. I guarantee it. Oh, just because of this stuff,
0: hundred percent. I and I think of the Tuscan Raiders is like I we keep calling them the Sand Raiders, Sand people. So the Sand the,
1: people, the, they're all the same. The, yeah. the, the
0: Tuscan <laughs> Raiders maybe get like, five minutes of true screen time throughout the Skywalker movies, and it's always the same thing. They're always, you know, attacking first or shooting things. Like, no, we're getting to see this whole other side, and it's been really, really remarkable, and I hope to see it continue. I will, I want to know more about the Jawas. I want to know more about the yeah. political structures of these towns. and Well, and the different tribes between the different... Well, the Tuscan
1: Raid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the different tribes of the raiders, exactly.
0: Oh, yeah, because they talk about the one that Boba's hanging out with are relatively peaceful. Yep. And are accepting and wouldn't just outright kill him. So, yeah, we got to see all of those. It could be really, really cool. The sign language piece is top-notch and different ways to communicate, uh, and right on par with Mandalorian, they're doing a lot of the little training montage scenes and stuff like that. So you're not asking for a lot of like acting range out of the various people that are there. It's just, it's a great start. And giving us, once again, I think we just keep repeating it time after time when it comes to The Mandalorian and some of the other Star Wars shows, something that we've known and loved for a really long time and making it fresh and new and exciting
1: right yeah and, and another way to really kind of highlight that you know is also just something as simple as the Wookiee in, in episode two. Oh, yeah yeah that Wookiee warrior like with the black fur and just seemed to have a whole different presence from Chewbacca and even some of what we saw in the prequels yeah like that immediately was away and the huts. I mean honestly like every aspect is like stuff you're familiar with but it's just different. It's more it's deeper, you know, the whole 9 yards. And so it just it really picked up a lot of ways from where the Mandalorian was and yeah, same level of quality and they're doing they're achieving a lot of the same the same types of things. For sure. Yeah,
0: just pumped to see where it can go, what it can do, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't point out the Parks and Rec Patton Oswald <laughs> opening to it all kudos obviously masterful that is dave filoni and jean favreau you know seeing pat Oswald as a nerd legend he is a geek icon and taking that scene from parks and rec it wasn't he called it obviously they copied it
1: yeah but man of oh man similar it yeah. was it,
0: so good so good and still just being a badass scene
1: yeah, it was perfect. I mean, anybody with a brain knew that, that Boba got out of that pit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. <laughs> but seeing
0: how he got out was super cool. And the poison on the inside yeah. of, of, of the animal, like everything. Everything. Just so, so good. So really pumped to see how it plays out, the very structure, the new characters that they introduce, and you know if they plan on giving us a season two.
1: Only two episodes in, we we have to see exactly where it goes. But just the idea of Boba battling it out with the HUD Empire in one way or another is intriguing to the point that, like, you would expect that that would have some impact on the bigger, larger Star Wars universe. So I, I just want to see how they're going to reconcile all of that and kind of what they're setting up. But yeah, super exciting start. Yeah,
0: and we'll we'll see what happens but with so much quality television out there, we couldn't possibly cover all of the shows. So hit us up on social to let us know what you've been watching lately, and if you agree with our thoughts on Hawkeye, Witcher, Wheel of Time, and Letterkenny.
1: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, go ahead and smash the subscribe button so you never miss a chapter of Geek Ketchup and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Also, be sure to follow GK on social media. You can find links to all of our accounts on the show notes below and on our website, eatketchuppodcast.com. There's even links to our merch store and Patreon if you'd like to support the show. But as always, remember to stay saucy, you nerds.